If you would, turn with me to the epistle of Ephesians, a letter written by St. Paul to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to be in chapter 6 of Ephesians, uh, a very well-known text for most of you. Um, Once you read it, you really have that image in your mind uh, from that point on. And so I want to look at this today with the thought with, uh, so to speak, context of what we've already talked about in the, in the weeks ahead, uh, or behind us now, um, as we are talking about striving. So we're talking about striving against the flesh, striving against sin and the unseen enemy, the spiritual warfare, what really climaxes in Ephesians chapter 6. I mean, if you're going to talk about spiritual warfare, you have to go here, but truly, you have to go to the entire book of Ephesians. Ephesians begins with a cosmic view of the world, not just some localized idea, but rather a cosmic Christ, a cosmic church. And so it starts on a world scene and it ends here in a very climactic way with these words. Notice here in chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Make it now Your Word to us. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Amen. We all know what it feels like to be tricked, to be duped, to be the, the butt of the joke. It never feels good, does it? When everybody else knows but you, right? That's why some people don't really care too much for surprise birthday parties or any kind of surprise for that matter. Uh, We don't really like to be caught off guard. 
we don't really like to be made fun of. No one I've ever met said, you know what, I really enjoy being made fun of. Could you just do a little more of that? <laughs> I've had the opposite occur. Hey, uh, watch how you are you know, tossing me about when we're in a crowd. I know I make for a good laugh, but I shouldn't always be the one getting beat up. And sometimes in life, maybe a lot of times in life, we feel like because of our sin, or you ought to feel like because of your sin, that you were a part of a play of a big joke. You know, if you look back in your life at sin, things that you have done that were disobedient to God, things that you knew were wrong and you did them anyway, and you got burned on it. It's never a good feeling to look back like that. We love forgiveness for this reason, and yet sometimes it's healthy to look back and see how it was that the enemy worked in our lives. C.S. Lewis has a great illustration that I've often given, and really, for me, it's so helpful. He talks about how when you're hungry, and in the morning, you're cooking bacon, bacon's the only thing you can think about, right? I mean, it smells so good, and it's the only thing you really want, and it's, you're dreaming of it as you're cooking it. You're salivating, at least I am, as I'm cooking it, right? And Jessica warned me last time not to act like up here that I always do the cooking. Um, that, that is very true, so I'll just pause for a moment of clarification uh, from your broadcast system. But nonetheless, uh, when I'm cooking bacon, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm smelling it, and that's all I want. And sin is very similar to that, not to bacon, but to the idea here, the desire that we have. When we want something, we want it. We want it. It's us. And the Bible's very, very clear, and we've talked about this, that when we sin, it's not God's fault. It's not even the enemy's fault. We're the ones who are drawn away by our own desires, Paul says. It's us. And so we want it, we do it our way. And of course, after we gorge ourselves on bacon and a huge breakfast, uh, to go back in the room, in the kitchen, and start cleaning up almost makes you nauseated. You're thinking, oh man. I mean, Jessica and I had an experience like that recently where we went to uh, eat this week at a place where we really like that has great catfish. And we're just, I mean, all we can think about is catfish and turnip greens and hush puppies and, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, you know, is we get in there and, and devour some food and then we just lay back and say, oh, I can't even smell this junk anymore. I, who, who thought about going here? What, what, what is wrong with us, you know? Um, and yet, that's how I find myself often when I've sinned. What happened? I mean... Before, it's, it's the best thing in the world. It's the only thing we can think about. It's the only thing we feel like we can do. And then afterward, we feel sick about it. We feel like somebody's played a joke on us. We feel like we've been deceived, manipulated. And it's because we have. But, <laughs> the good news here of Ephesians is, God does not want us to be deceived. He wants us to be armed. He wants us to be ready. We don't have to, so to speak, just wander into sin all our life. We don't have to anymore because of what Jesus has done. Because of what the Spirit brings to our life. We can be armed and ready. We can fight against, stand against 
sin and our own desires. Have you noticed that you're kind of against yourself sometimes? Isn't that an odd thing? We know we should treat someone well, and something in us just just simply doesn't want to. Just doesn't want to. I don't want to. We know we should forgive, and we just don't. I mean, I've noticed about myself when I'm in an argument, I may even know that I'm not 100% right. By golly, I'm not going to let them know that. There's something in us that's wrong. It's our nature. We were born like that, but we made it our own. It's not Adam's fault. It's not Eve's fault. It's my fault. I'm the one who doesn't ultimately want to go God's way. And it's, at the end of the day, on me. I'm I'm my own worst enemy. And yet, there's a solution to that problem. Paul has it here very clearly. Notice, finally, be strong in what? Not in your good works. Not in your own strength. Not in your power or your friend's power. But instead, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. <laughs> uh, God is impressively strong. You know? Uh, there's not really anybody that's going to arm wrestle Him and win. He is the Creator of all things. That's why we say in the Creed, He's almighty. That's not really a word you throw around for a lot of people. I've never actually heard that word characterized as anybody. He's almighty because everybody who we've ever known in this world to claim almightiness is now rotting away somewhere. They're not very almighty, are they? God will remain forever. He never changes. He has the strength of all strength. (laughs) He is ultimate. He is mighty. And so Paul says, look, If you are going to be strong against temptation, strong against sin, if you're going to strive for Christ and for what is good, then you must be strong in God, not in yourself. Because what you're going to find in yourself needs to be changed. I need to be changed. Did you hear what Jesus just said to those people? He said, look, you think that you're not blind? That ought to tell you right there that you're blind. Just like he says later, he says, I did not come for those who are well, but those who are sick. Do you know your sickness? That's part of this spiritual warfare is first understanding that we're kind of like our worst enemy. That when I start to relax, I do what Marshall wants to do and not what Christ wants to do. When I start to go my own way or take things into my own hands, that's when I begin to hurt other people. That's when my pride swells up and I cannot forgive or I cannot release or I cannot be embarrassed. And I try to protect myself. And when we try to protect ourselves, we end up sinning. Jesus, when He was accused, said nothing. He didn't defend Himself. Now, of course, there's places where you can defend yourself. But I've noticed, and maybe you have too, you ever notice in an argument when someone is trying to defend themselves, even if it's untrue, it just, I don't know, puts a bad taste in our mouth. When somebody builds their self up, there's just not much to that, is it? No, it's not. And Jesus doesn't have to build Himself up. He is the I Am. He is the definer of all things. 
And when we connect ourselves to Him, we don't have to protect ourselves. He will do the protecting. We don't have to manage, so to speak, our own reputation. He will do that. He is what matters here, not us. The strength comes from Him, not me. As As I've mentioned before, I've done it on my own before. I know that road very, very well. Doing the right things, saying the right things, being the right way. Um, you know, I can play the game very well. I did it a lot of my life as a kid. Um, kept up an image. And yet, to not have Christ is to have nothing, even with all that good stuff. Now, you know, I think of you as good people. I really do. I don't sit around and think of you as bad people. And for all that I know about you, you are good. But that's not enough. I hope you hear what I'm saying. That's not enough. Being good is not the ultimate mission as a warrior in this battle. The ultimate mission is to the general. To the king of kings. That's what his name is. To the Lord of lords. That's who our first priority, our first thing of mission is to is to Him. Not doing stuff for Him. Didn't you know He doesn't really need you to do anything for Him? <laughs> See, we like to pat our... At least I do. I like to pat myself. Hey, look, look what I did, Lord. Don't, don't you like that? He doesn't need my help to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. He appreciates it. He needs us because we're His body. But He doesn't need us in a need-need thing. See, there's two different kinds of needs here. God doesn't need anything by definition. He doesn't need anything. That's why He's called the I Am. And so, the first thing to get out of the way is just simply myself. We must trust in Him and in His strength and not our own. We must be found in Jesus Christ. Paul's terminology, if you read Paul for five minutes, he'll say it, in Christ. In Jesus. I used to think that was just so elementary. You know, once I started going to Bible college, to seminary, doing graduate work, reading high theology and philosophy. You know, to, to talk about inviting Jesus into your heart, I mean, that's just, that's just an elementary thing. And yet, now, come full circle, once I got my pride out of the way, once I got off the high horse, I realized it's one of the most profound things in the universe. Jesus in us, in me, and I've thought about that, and I've tried to tried to wrestle with it. You know, what what is that? How's that even happen? Well, it's interesting. When I go on a trip, I actually take my family with me. I do. They're in here somewhere. I mean, scientists will, medical people will tell me that they're in my brain, but I feel them in here too. When you get hurt, you're hurt in here, not just up here. If you've ever really had a broken heart or you know you're about to get in trouble, you know that sinking feeling we say? It happens here, doesn't it? Right here at the center, which is what the Hebrews called the heart. You see, I actually take them with me. That's why when I make decisions, I make them based on them. Not just on myself. I don't just leave them. There's, no, there's something in me that's them. And in a more real way than that, Jesus lives in here. You know, 
bad English, but all up in our mind, should live in our souls <laughs> and should affect the way we take care of our body, the way we use our body. Our body, the Scripture says, is not our own. So, do you have Jesus living in you? It's a simple question. It's a big one though. And really, we can't go beyond that here in the spiritual warfare, Paul would say, until you got, a, you got that. Notice, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In. That little preposition there is very important to Paul and important for us. And this next thing is this. Once we, once we got Jesus out of the way, right? No. You see, you can't ever dismiss Jesus. That's, that's the problem here. You can't dismiss Him philosophically. The philosophers have to wrestle with Him. You can't mi- dismiss Him in religion. Even all the world religions have things to say about Jesus. Ultimately, He's the one who created you. You were created through Him, by Him, for Him, and you will meet Him one day. I mean, that's, that's the reason we do all this stuff. We're going to meet Him in a reality, physical way beyond even now how we meet Him. I mean, sometimes now you say, boy, it really felt like Jesus was in the room. Well, He is, yes. But one day, face to face, it's going to be a big day, isn't it? I mean, I just, I know I say this often, but I have to say it again. I, I, you know, my job in all of my life has been to talk about to live for Jesus. I mean, from the age of five all the way through elementary, you know, I, I defended him right along with Santa Claus, you know? I was arguing when I was in the in kindergarten and all. I mean, I, I, I've always been a, a spokesman, so to speak, about Jesus. And it, in one sense, it's very, very scary for me because I want to have and say what is right about God, and it drives me. And I, and I speak so much, I mean, to college students and, 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 and to my own children and to my wife. I mean, when we go on dates, we, we talk about God and, and, and just what He's been doing and what He wants us to do and, and the church and, and, and all the different facets. And I just, one day, face to face. I mean, now by the eye of faith I see my Lord. But one day, face to face. The one we pray to. It's not just a, a mental exercise that we're doing here. Amen. So we must be found in Him and understand that we're not wrestling against each other. That's what Paul's really saying here. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not Democrat versus Republican. Those will never save us. Instead, it's His kingdom which pushes and bulldozes any other kingdom. You know, there's no kingdom that is going to last forever except for His. And the good news is He's a good king. (laughs) I guess He could have been a bad one, but, but He's a good one. And we don't wrestle against each other, so there's no need fighting each other. Not even other denominations. That's why we don't bring it up here. 
It's just not the place. I mean, yeah, we have disagreements with certain things and angles, and but there are brothers. There are sisters. All the saints, Paul said, pray for all of them. We're so sometimes busy in fighting over this or that, that, that we can't fight the real enemy. <laughs> and the enemy's laughing at us as if we were the joke because we are. I know that the enemy has laughed at me because he's tricked me. He's manipulated me. Not into doing what he just wants me to do, but what inside of me wanted to do and came out. It's really interesting. You know, I know you may get tired of this, but Tolkien, who lived the same time Lewis did, and both these guys were prophets of their time. He writes a fictional work, whereas Lewis doesn't, you know, he writes the Chronicles of Narnia, of course, but he writes other things. But he's prophetic in Lord of the Rings. The same thing's happening. When I envisioned this, I I thought about David for one in the Old Testament, but then I thought about Frodo. I mean, does Frodo put on this big armor? Is that how they win the world? Is that how Middle Earth is saved? Is by by this big-footed, little-bitty hobbit? Nobody compared to the dwarves or compared to the great history of of man or compared to the the elves? No, these are nobodies. I mean, the hobbits, they live in holes in the ground, right? How do do they win the day? Is it it through great fighting and just, you know, casting down the enemy like Gandalf does or like Aragorn is able to do? Do they ride out in great... No, no, no. The world is not saved through flesh and blood war. We know that from the Crusades, right? That stain on our history. It is not fault in politics. Instead, it is a spiritual battle and it's one that will only be won by sacrifice. Again, we come back to the way of the cross. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me and I trust Him. Why? Because of His rod and His staff. And that rod and staff in the Old Testament, which were things of protection, His way in the world, become for us the cross. Two pieces of wood joined to make the one symbol of sacrifice in the world that saves all of the world. It's the cross. And so there is Sam and Frodo in the midst of Mordor. I mean, the the shadow's been cast over all of Middle-earth, the whole movie, and now they're at the very base of the source of evil, and here they are, two little hobbits in this God-forsaken land, and the way that they win the day is to just offer themselves up. That's it. Jesus comes into this God-forsaken land where there's darkness and He says, I am the light of the world. And what does He do? Pull out a sword like Peter did and start chopping people's organs off? 
if you consider an ear an organ, which is probably incorrect, just let it pass. Sometimes you get a sneak peek of my uh, mental uh, thing going on there. But does he pull out a sword? Does he does he draw his concealed carry weapon and start firing away? Does he call in the nukes? Does he raise up an army? No. 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 What does he do? This. He offers himself. He offers himself up. This is not the best position when you're in war. It's not what you really want to do. You're in a fight. It's not not the best thing to do. We want to protect ourselves. Jesus does this. This is the Christian warrior's only posture. Yeah, we get suited up, but when we get suited up, this is what we do. Do you notice we never are told to to use the sword to kill people? The sword of the Spirit? No. No. We don't use this armor to advance a kingdom on earth. No. No. Instead, three different times here, stand. Stand. When you've done all you can, stand. When you've done that, stand. When you feel like you can't make it, stand. Feel like you can't go on? Stand. When you feel like you can't trust? Stand. When, when death comes to your door in the form of cancer? Stand. When the enemy's in your face? Stand. And what will happen is you will be able to withstand his temptations. Be victorious. He's the real victor. That's why we can... I mean, He's already cut off the snake's head. You remember the... I mean, it's so fascinating. The Bible is just... Uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, we've, we, a small group again, I was just again amazed at the, the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, where we fall. We fall a long way. It's not just like falling out of a chair. It's more like falling off the Sears Tower. We fall a long way and yet God promises us something. That is, through woman, one will come who will crush the head of the snake and He'll bruise His heel. Which is why, in The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie about Jesus' suffering, it begins with Jesus stomping the head of a serpent as He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Fulfilling of the prophecy. Now, what does that mean? It means that because of what Jesus, who is the ultimate warrior, you follow me? I mean, he's the elite of the elite. I always read these elite, you know, seals and delta and all that. You know, no, he's the elite of the elite. He leads a charge against the enemy which cuts off the enemy's head. Now, enemy's a snake, we think of him because he's cunning and so on and so forth. One time I remember my pappy. He had a snake in his yard. He got a, got a hoe out, cut the head off. Now what was interesting as I watched that snake was that the snake kept moving. That's what it was doing. I was like, what? what's going on? It wasn't completely dead. You cut the head off and yet it still, it still bites you. Did you know that? I hope you know that. I know that. <laughs> um, a snake can still get you even after you've severed it. It's like a worm, you know, it's still you're like, oh, come on now. 
so too the enemy. The enemy's been defeated. Did you not have you not heard? Right here, the enemy has been defeated, and yet the enemy is still dangerous. We still don't go around playing with the enemy, carousing with the enemy. He can still bite you. Now, it's almost like Jesus knocked the snake's teeth out. Or more importantly, Jesus says, Satan is like a lion going about roaring, seeking who he might devour. Notice, he didn't say biting people. That's because he already knocked out all his teeth. All he can do is come and gnaw on you. It's nasty, but it's effective sometimes for us. He gnaws at us, doesn't he? I mean, that's an old southern term there, isn't it? Gnaw. You going to gnaw on them ribs? You going to gnaw on some barbecue here in just a minute? Isn't that how he works, though? His wiles is another translation. His cunning is to just gnaw at us. You want this. You want that. This is who you are. This is, this is one lie. This is who you are. Just accept it. You're an angry person. You're just someone who doesn't treat other people well. Just accept that. That's who you are. It's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. Jesus already knocked out His teeth. All He can do is roar in your face and try to scare you, but we know He's defeated. I've actually read the end of the book. We win. We win. So what Paul says to do is put on then (laughs) the belt of truth. Fasten it, he says. The belt of truth, which... You know, I won't bore you, but I've been learning about triathlons and multi-sport, whatever. I'm noticing that they say, work on your core. What they mean by that is work on your core right here. You know, where the flab happens. I look at my core and say, ooh, my core needs to be worked on a little bit more. So, Because apparently when you're swimming or when you're biking or when you're running, the core helps. When I was reading Marcus Luttrell's book, when he said that he was out in the wilderness, you know, he's a lone survivor, uh, of Afghanistan, he said that he, he thought back at one point, he said, I'm really glad I had to do all those crunches because it helped my core. When he was running, when he wasn't able to use his legs properly, when he was having to crawl, his core mattered. Paul says, look, you got to have at the core of who you are, your core which ends up operating everything else, balancing out everything else, you have to have truth there. you got to be a person of truth. George Barna, who does a lot of studies, he said, if Christians in America wanted to radically change their context and their culture, all they'd need to do is just tell the truth. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Just shows you how much people lie. It's always surprising to me. People lie about things. I'm like, it's really weird you lied about that. It's odd. It's sin. That's what it is. Not just odd. It's sin. Truth at the core. (laughs) Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, he's getting this from Isaiah 59. He's not just getting it from looking at the soldier who he's chained to, by the way. He was chained to a soldier. You know, remember he said that at the end? Pray for me also, who I'm an ambassador in chains. So he's looking at a Roman soldier here, checking out his gear and making an analogy. But at the same time, he's thinking back to Isaiah 59, which also talks about the breastplate of righteousness. We must put on to protect ourselves God's righteousness, not our own. 
We must put on the shoes. Now, shoes are important, I'm told. I don't have the most expensive running shoes, but I got some cheaper ones that I think are awesome compared to my other ones, right? That feel like house shoes now that I'm running in them. Paul says this, we need to put on the gospel on our feet so that wherever we move, we have good news. Not bad news. God's good news. Not just what's good politically or what's good in our life, but rather God's good news. We need to be ready to share, ready to roll out and get it done. We are on mission after all. And also take up the shield of faith to extinguish His darts. Faith, one of the capstones, trust, as we just mentioned, in Jesus. And then put on the helmet of salvation, the helmet that protects the head. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, right? I'm having to sadly now make my children wear helmets when they go bike riding. Because I have so many wrecks. Got to protect your head. How do you do that? Salvation. Salvation protects our head. What is our head? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the control center for us. And at the control center, we need to know God's salvation. Not just think we have it, but be assured of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then also take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only weapon of uh, offense, and yet it is never meant to be beaten over the heads of those who do not know. We should be beating ourselves up. That's who we should be beating up with the Word of God. We should be eating it and letting it just as the prophet sit in our stomach and make us hurt, but then we feel better afterward because it's like a medicine that we take that tastes bad, but it does the job. And then Paul is very clear with what is most important, which is praying. Did you notice that? The section that's given on praying? <laughs> From 18 down to 19, he's talking about prayer which we talked about last week. Prayer, supplication, praying for others. It must not just be prayers for ourselves, but instead for others. Interceding. I mean, you don't like it when someone comes in and only talks about themselves, never cares what you think. Well, don't do that to God then. So, Paul implores us that if we're going to be armored, if we're going to be armed, if we're going to be withstanders, who are standing like this, we must pray at all times. In the Spirit. Notice that? Again, preposition, a little in. Must be in the Spirit. Not in the strength of our own flesh, but rather in His Spirit. Let me ask you, do you have Jesus in your heart? It's, <laughs> it's a simple question, you know. But some of the simple ones are some of the hardest. Will you marry me? It's a big one. Do you have Jesus in your heart? It's not just a kid's phrase. It's for us adults. Is He really there? Is truth at the center, the core of who we are? Do we have righteousness, the helmet of salvation? 
do we really have faith in God? If we don't, we can. Are we ready to share the good news? Have we ever shared the good news? If we have it, we can start today. He can help us. He's here to help. He's the divine warrior. This battle is not ours. Remember what David said? This battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. Here he was with a big giant. Everybody's laughing at him. Everybody's mocking him. Don't worry about what other people think. Worry about with... Worry about what the one who you're going to meet at the end of all time thinks. Because he's the only one that matters. I mean, like my, my, like my father always says, three seconds after you're dead, Jesus is the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters. Be strong in the Lord. In the power of His might, put on His full armor so that you can be armed. Put yourself in the posture of the cross in everything that you do. Live a cruciform life and pray at all times in the Spirit. You'll be armed. Be armed for the battle. You may feel like Frodo, right? You may feel like David before Goliath. But let me tell you something. Just like we talked about a couple of Sundays back, when Elisha opened the, the, the dude's eyes, the servant's eyes, what did he see? That they are greater than what's right here. He's greater. Doesn't matter what it is, he's greater. Do you know that? You can if you don't. Amen.